let's get real, schooling is not the same as learning. In other words, going to school and getting a diploma does not mean that the student has learned much. Every day, 1.5 billion children and adolescents around the world go to buildings called schools. Now, with the pandemic, well, some of them log on, some of them watch on TV, and some don't even have the money to do either. So they're waiting. Waiting for these buildings to open up again. But how much are they actually learning? Some contend, not much. In fact, there's a whole set of articles that have been unleashed by some of the largest publications around the world claiming that education has become the world's biggest scam. That's the state of affairs. Have we lost our guiding star? It used to be that the educational arc to serve global society was front and center. The United States is increasingly becoming more employer-driven when it comes to schooling. Does this serve global society? The debate is raging. Today, we welcome back higher ed changemaker Ben Nelson, Chancellor of Minerva University, and we engage in the discussion of how exactly we can refocus the educational arc to serve global society. Let's go to Jules Coleman and Todd McLeese as we jump into the discussion. The main goals, the main purpose of higher education, this transformative period in people's lives, is to enable them to take their place in society in an appropriate way and also to be able to live a life that displays their own agency, their responsible agency, a life that they own rather than a life that merely happens. And that that is really a central feature of higher education. And the failure to do that, in some ways, is a failure of value, a failure for educational institutions, especially those of higher education, to play the role that is essentially theirs. And uh, we probably both agree as well that uh, higher education has failed miserably, more so now than ever, with regard to that responsibility, all hidden behind the idea that education is supposed to be value neutral, not essentially purposeful, not largely normative, but in fact, it can only serve its function if it is. But the question I'd like to ask you is, what is your feeling about the many of the alternatives to traditional forms of higher education that seek to compress the period of time between what's called late adolescence and employability, where the function is getting someone in the economy in some way, giving, improving their life prospects in that simple way, but in a way that doesn't really emphasize in any significant way their capacity to play a role as a citizen of a free society or as a critic of an unfree one. And so much of the movement in alternatives to higher education in Minerva stands in opposition to this, I think, and rightfully so. But so much of the movement in higher education is really to compress the period of higher education in, in the name of employability on the theory that, and rightly so, that People are worried about a lot of things, among other things, putting food on their table, having a job, being able to care for their family, and so on. And I do think this kind of tension 
in higher education is something that's going to be played out over the next 10, 20 years or so. Jules, it's, as, as always, you ask uh, extraordinarily insightful and, uh, and, and to the heart of the matter questions. And I agree with you that I am uh, sympathetic, highly sympathetic, to, um, to the real um, uh, uh, problems and plight of, of, of individuals. And by saying individuals, I really say the vast majority of the population that have practical concerns as their primary concerns. Um, and, you know, it is the definition of privilege when those types of concerns aren't at the forefront uh, of, of your mind. Uh, uh, privilege uh, really cannot be afforded to a majority. Um, uh, when, when a majority has, uh, is, is enjoy certain norms that others covet, that is a sign of discrimination. Uh, it, is, it is not a sign of privilege. Um, when you have a, uh, a, the privilege of a few of the minority that don't have to worry about practical considerations, um, that is when you know that, that you know, fundamentally uh, the approach is, is, is completely broken. And so, yes, I have sympathy for those who want to shorten uh, uh, that time frame. The problem is, is that they, uh, you cannot uh, 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 find or have magic bullets, right? And, and, the, uh, and, and the reality is that the society does the greatest disservice to those who are in the more vulnerable uh, positions in society by promising the get rich quick, the shortcut, the oh, you can skip, you know, uh, uh, this uh, four year experience and you can get the same thing in six weeks, in six months, in a year. It just is not true. And so, what is the solution? Because the reality is that a uh, a four year uh, break, right, uh, uh, or extending independent adulthood by four years is simply unrealistic for so many. Uh, of our fellow citizens, and uh, not to mention uh, uh, those those around the world. The reality is that the only way to actually address both is to start earlier. We cannot, on the one hand, acknowledge that both secondary and post-secondary education is a colossal failure, um, which it is, and say, well, we can uh, we can only fix it by this stuff after you go through it. No, you actually have to start in ninth grade, maybe eighth grade, uh, seventh grade, right? The point where we see student engagement falling off a cliff, where we see long-term learning vanish uh, uh, among a huge swath of, of the population and say, the time that we have starts here. And I believe that if you actually extend the time that you have with students, think about a six or seven year arc that starts in ninth grade in, or in eighth grade. All of a sudden, you can have a vastly superior, holistic education, one that absolutely trains people to be not only citizens in their society, but really members of the human community. And 
are able to do so in a vastly more efficient and effective time frame. So I don't want to reject the idea of compressing the time and enabling uh, individuals to pursue the economic security that they desperately need, but you can't do that by creating shortcuts, right? I would argue that four years isn't enough. I would much rather, and in fact, this is one of the reasons why we're now have a high school curriculum, I would much rather be given three years for higher education if I had four years in high school um, than having four years of, of higher education without impact in high school. Um, and I think that that has to be the solution. You mentioned earlier in the conversation that original vision versus where we are today, 85 to 90% accurate given an unwavering, purposeful mission, et cetera. When you think about five years from now, and the role that Minerva plays on, in the higher education landscape and um, its purpose at that time, given the constituencies. Where do you think Minerva is five years from now? And what role does collaboration with industry partners and NGOs and governments, and what role does globalization play um, as you think about your vision today? Our goal is a global reformation of secondary and post-secondary education. Um, we have never been accused of being unambitious. <laughs> and in order to actually create a reformation, and we use the word reformation intentionally, as we use all of the words that we use, uh, primarily because we don't believe in disruption. We don't believe that institutions should be burnt to the ground and, uh, uh, and that something else should be replaced. We also um, you know, think that transformation uh, in and of itself is, um, is a little bit too, uh, uh, too um, non-directional. Uh, there are a lot of ways to, to, to transform, but to reform, to actually go back to first principles, understand what it is that we're trying to do, and form around those principles is, is I think, the job at hand um, that, that we at least are, have it as the core of our, uh, of our life's work and, and what we do. And that means not only uh, a collaboration with a wide array of institutions, from high schools to universities to governments, NGOs, corporations, etc., but it also is fundamentally a global conversation. Um, we are unabashed globalists, uh, and I know that is increasingly less popular, um, but the idea that we can cocoon back into national, state, community boundaries uh, is farcical. Right? 50 years ago, if you were a shopkeeper in Bangladesh, you may have been able to get away with thinking about your conditions in a 500-foot radius uh, is really the only things that mattered in your day-to-day. -day. But today, that same uh, uh, institution needs to understand what's happening in Bentonville, Arkansas, let alone in, uh, in Frankfurt and uh, uh, in, in the outskirts of Paris and all sorts of other places. Um, or otherwise, the, that individual's livelihood is going to be gone.
there, there is no place in the world left to cut yourself off. And there are no actions that we take as human beings that don't have fundamental ripple effects uh, uh, everywhere else in the world. And so our, our approach has been global from day one. The vast majority of the students that are in Minerva programs are not from any one given country, from any one given geography, from any one given uh, demographic or any other you know, uh, category you want to display. The vast majority of our partnerships across high schools, universities, corporations um, are, again, not in any one region, uh, continent, country, uh, etc. Um, and our approach is one where we either survive and thrive as humanity or uh, we get destroyed uh, as, as a human race. And, and that kind of animating factor behind uh, what, what we do um, is, is very pervasive for, for Minerva. And so the, the, the brief answer is there is no success for us five years in the future uh, unless our uh, scale and scope of collaborations and partnership doesn't increase by uh, at least one, if not two orders of magnitude. Chancellor Ben Nelson is the founder of Minerva and a visionary with a passion to reinvent higher education. Prior to Minerva, Nelson spent more than 10 years at Snapfish, where he helped build the company from startup to the world's largest personal publishing service. Prior to joining Snapfish, Nelson was president and CEO of Community Ventures, a network of locally branded portals for American communities. Nelson's passion for reforming undergraduate education was first sparked at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School, where he received a Bachelor's of Science in Economics. After creating a blueprint for curricular reform in his first year of school, Nelson went on to become the chair of the student committee on undergraduate education, a pedagogical think tank that is the oldest and only non-elected student government body at the University of Pennsylvania. This episode was recorded live on Clubhouse. Check us out at the FutureX Tribe. It was produced by the FutureX Tribe, Beyond Academics, and BeNext Global. Executive Director and Chief Moderator, Matt Alex. Edited by Phoenix Global Media. Our music is by David Cutter. I'm Hector H. Lopez. We'll see you next time as we continue our discussions with the higher ed changemakers on the FutureX podcast. <laughs>